welcome to a live and kicking the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than watching Cold Feet and wondering which one of them is going to cheat on their partner next. That's the Cold Feet of the 90s, uh, not the new one that's on ITV, but bloody good to have those guys back. And talking of back, hello! Welcome back to AK90s, or a live and kicking the 90s football podcast. Yes, we are going to be back for another season. Season 2 is on the horizon, um, but today I just thought I'd give you a mini episode, if you like, a little taster of what's to come over the coming season because we've been away now probably longer than we thought we would have done Uh, we wanted to kick off at the start of the season like we did last year had a break over the summer where we all watched the euros we all did got back to the uh, the new millennium and not the 90s but we wanted to be back at the start of the season uh didn't just quite work out that for a number of reasons but we have dotted the i'd crossed the t's and we're all set to go uh, for a new season season two very american um we'll do that probably in a couple of weeks no longer than that just trying to sort out uh, a couple of guests and uh, a couple of people on the phone that we want to get to for certain themes and everything like that just to make sure it's the best possible podcast for you to enjoy and thank you to those who got in touch asking uh, about when if we're coming back or what we're coming back will it be different and it's been really nice to, to know that people have missed the podcast and, and wanted to still get involved so yes to those who have gotten it was just me catching up saying hello and we're still here we haven't gone away forever we'll just had a little informal break that uh, is now over with this mini episode and we can talk once again about football in the 1990s. Uh, talking about you getting involved as well, something brilliant that's happened for the podcast. Uh, we have been nominated for an award. Yes, I don't know. Not just a hat rack, I suppose. Um, this, these awards are the Football Blogging Awards, which if you are anywhere around the social network, the SOCH, as you want to call it, you'll know that they, they were an annual thing. They're becoming quite prestigious. Um, they celebrate kind of the podcast, blogs, uh, YouTubers, article, everything on the, that's kind of internet-y based. Is internet-y a word? No, I just created it. Um, and they have nominated us in the best football podcast category, which is absolutely humbling. I'm very honoured to do so. And thanks to the guys at West 12 Media uh, for sorting that out. But we are up against one of our West 12 Media's, uh, well, our sister podcast in, in a way, really. The QPR podcast, which is obviously one I'm very fond of, close to my heart. I've been on it a couple of times. Um, and that's also nominated in the best football podcast as well. But if you are a QPR fan, vote for both because, um, you know, we want to get both in the shortlist. And that's the only aim, to be honest. Um, I don't think for one minute that we will win this category because we're up against some absolute massive heavy hitters uh, at the FBA. So just to get on the shortlist would be absolutely amazing. Um, so to help us out, I know some of you already have. You may have seen the tweets on the Twitter feed of how to vote. And thank you to everyone uh, who has done so far, most of you which who have been guys on the podcast and have enjoyed coming on, but it'd be great to get some of you guys, some of you listeners uh, voting as well, because you're the guys that matters, you're the people that we're here still, that we've got another season, that we are still going, so it'd be great for you to, to show your appreciation for the podcast and, and vote for us in the FBAs. All you need to do, um, go to our Twitter feed, um, you'll see a tweet that's pinned to the top of the board, um, basically it tells you all there what you need to do, just click the link, it'll open another page which is just already a tweet set up for you, click send and then that those votes I imagine will be all counted uh, by the FBAs before they do their shortlist um, and then hopefully we'll have uh, something to, to tell you in a couple of weeks, I think the voting ends the end of September so by the time you hear from us again we'll know if we're on the shortlist or not so it would be absolutely absolutely amazing for you guys i know i bang on about a lot about things that you can help us with what with the itunes reviews and any sort of content you can 
put our way on Twitter or on Facebook. But this would be really, really great and really, really help us um, to to get on there and establish the podcast a lot more. Because I do get a lot of people who uh, keep discovering the podcast for the first time, which, I mean, it'd be great for them if you want to binge 30-odd episodes, but we want more people for the ride on a week-to-week basis, so, and this will be a great way uh, to get people involved, make them aware of the podcast, so brilliant if you could vote for us, just click that tweet, and again, as I always say, if you could spread the word on AK90s, reviews on iTunes, anything on Twitter or Facebook would be great. Uh, I know we've got a few questions as well, which is brilliant that people got in touch with some 90s-related questions uh, for myself, which we'll get to uh, in just a moment but we do have an interview on this because we have we're, we're planning next season we've got a few interviews in the pipeline um, we had one with somebody from the class of 92 which we will do at some point in the season um, so that'll be good to look out for that one we're hoping to speak to Ron Atkinson uh, this week as he has a new book out an autobiography which should be a good read so we should be chatting to him because what you know he's an absolute personality of the 90s not just on the touchline but also in the commentary box as well um luckily the the reason he's not in the commentary box didn't happen in the 90s so we don't need to talk about that but we can talk everything sort of villa in the title race and things like that so hopefully that will come to fruition this week and we'll get that across on an episode in the next few weeks but we have an interview for you now um this was recorded uh, around April or March last season, I think, I believe. So it's it's tightly dated because it's talking about Aston Villa because it's a former Aston Villa player of the 90s. Um, so he was quite down on the club at the time. Obviously, they were going through a relegation battle, which we've since seen that they didn't win and they're now in the championship, spending a hell of a lot of money on some players as well. Um, but Ian Taylor is the guy we were speaking, we've spoken to uh, earlier in the year, AK90s, talking his Villa career in the 90s, when obviously Villa were quite a force. Not only did they chase Man United to the all the way to the league title almost in the first season of the Premier League, and they of course won the League Cup, which Ian Taylor talks about, and were a big name in the 90s. So um, I'll see you on the other end, but this is a interview we did earlier in the year with former Aston Villa midfielder Ian Taylor. Ian Taylor, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us. Morning. We're going to take you back to the 90s, which uh, for Villa was a much more uh, profitable period than we're having at the moment. Before we do, though, I mean, as a Villa legend, and we know you're a big Villa fan, how do you feel about the current state of the club and what is looking like relegation? Yeah, it's been a a long time coming, hasn't it? And I think uh, the writing's been on the wall for a while. Um, you can only circle the plug hole so many times, can't you? And and we've done that the last three, four, five seasons. So it's uh, yeah, it's been a long, painful death, really. But um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those who now thinks, okay, you, you you look at the situation, and you have to look forward, and how you're going to rectify the situation. And I think steps are being made right now to uh, to make things better. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's take you back then to, to the 90s. Um, before we talk Villa, I mean, you started the, the decade at Port Vale, where you were quite a popular figure, winning a couple of playlists, and you played at Wembley. I mean, what are your memories of, of, of playing at Port Vale? Yeah, it, it was an amazing rise, really, because I was, I was previously playing non-league football before that, and uh, and came into the league uh, to play for Port Vale, and played played at Wembley twice in the season, which was amazing. So, uh it was pretty meteoric, really. But um, no, I had a great two years at Port Vale, and I made my name getting forward and scoring goals for midfield. And you know, I scored 35 goals in, in two seasons at Port Vale, which um, for a midfield player was really good. So 
uh, I two amazing years there. The, the fans were were brilliant, and um, you know I had some great teammates there as well that helped me along. So uh, yeah, fantastic time there. Mm. You had a short stint at Sheffield Wednesday, but you eventually ended up at Villa in 1994. For, for someone who grew up as a Villa fan and, and a local who used to stand on the whole end, what did it mean for you to, to sign for that club? Yeah, well, well funny enough, um, Brian Little signed me um, for Villa, but he, he tried to sign me before I went to Sheffield Wednesday when he was at Leicester, and I turned him down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, it was nice to, to know that he was still, still liked me as a player. But um, no, my, my first game for Sheffield Wednesday, incidentally, was um, the the game where Klinsman got his hat, hat trick for Tottenham. Oh, right, he did, yeah. he did his dive for the first time. We, um, Tottenham came to Hillsborough and beat us 4-3. And uh, Klinsman scored his hat trick on the first day of the Premier League season. So um, that that was a nice baptism as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, but what did you but, mean? Yeah. Sorry. So what did it mean for you to, to sign for, for your hometown club? No, oh, it was fantastic. Like, like you say, um, I wasn't having a great time at Sheffield Wednesday. I was being played out of position. And when Brian Little came in for me, um, it was just a dream come true. Um, you ask any, any fan of any club, if they could have the chance to play for their royal team, they'd, uh, they'd rip your arm and off. So, you know, it was fantastic for me. And um, coming back home as well, um, amazing feeling for myself. That Villa team is, you know, is quite well renowned as well. You went on to to win the League Cup in 1996 as well, in a, one of the kind of most one-sided finals as well of the 90s. What are your memories of that game? Because you've of course scored in it as well. Yeah, it's um, yeah, you you dream of every, you you always think about how a game's going to go before you play, and you know it it went exactly how we planned it. Really, um, everything went right for us on the day. We scored some great goals. And um, like you said, it was it was very one-sided. And um, you know, funny enough, I was I was watching Villa in the same cup final two years before in in the crowd. So um, to be on the pitch playing in the same final and scoring as well, winning um, was it's just weird and um, just weird how it's happened really. But uh, and again, it was a, a dream come true. You played under Brian Little, and I think Brian's very much a 90s manager because he had such success at Villa and Leicester. And after that, we didn't really hear from him. What was Brian Little like to play under? Yeah, he was cool, cool and calm. He was never one of those that had uh, rant and rave in the dressing room. He always had uh, someone else in the dressing room who'd do that for him. But, you know, he was a thinking, a thinking manager. And, um, yeah, he was always calm under pressure. But, um, you yeah, know, we, we did well for a spell under Brian. But uh, he always said when he stopped enjoying it, he'd, he'd get out. And, um, you know, it got to a stage where he wasn't enjoying it. And um, he, he decided to uh, to let it go. Mm. He always had, like you said earlier, a, a knack for, for scoring goals. Did that come naturally? Was that something you just worked on in your game to be that those late runs? Kind of Frank Lampard-esque, I suppose, in more modern yeah, days. You know, you know it, was, it wasn't something that I worked on. It just a natural thing. I think I just had, you know... A good engine that could get me from box to box, and I didn't need that much rest in between. So it's um, it's just something that came naturally, really. I tried to get myself into goal-scoring positions, and uh, I was lucky enough to play with uh, teammates that could get the ball in in the box, uh, you know, at the right time uh, on the end of my runs. Do you have a favourite goal? Would it have been the one in the cup final? You know, a lot a lot of people ask me that, and 
the my favourite goal is the one I scored at uh, Villa Park on my home debut. Mm. Um, you know, to come uh, to put the Villa shirt on at, at Villa Park and and score in front of the whole team on my home debut was just uh, something else. And you know, we played Chelsea on the on the night. It was a packed Villa Park as well. I had my, all my family and friends were there, and um, it was just a, a great, great night. Mm. But, uh, when Wembley comes a close second. <laughs> I can imagine, definitely. Um, after Brian Little, John Gregory uh, came in. He must have been a slightly different approach to, to Brian Little. He's more of a brash character, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he wore his heart on his sleeve and, and, and said what he thought. And, um, yeah, again, we had a great time under John. Uh, like I say, he was a different kind of manager, but... He, he liked um, he liked players like myself who were hard working, and and he knew what he was going to get from them. So uh, yeah, we had some good times, you know, playing in Europe and and whatnot, and uh, being top of the league for a spell as well. Um, you know, thinking we could go on and uh, actually win the league, but we we fell away in the end, and uh, we're well renowned for being a team of all English players at one point, which was uh, something that you I don't think you'll see for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You played with a lot of different sort of Villa era teams in that decade. Can you pick out, pick out the, the best kind of players that you thought you played with at Villa? Oh, blimey. Um Without upsetting anyone, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I think Dwight York's one of the best I've played with. Um, I think uh, Gareth Southgate, yeah. Paul McGrath, uh, Paul Merson. Um, who else? I think I think Alan Wright was one of the most underrated yeah. players that I've with. Um, How about yeah. on the other opposite end? I mean, who of the nineties would you say was was the toughest player you played against? Um, probably toughest. Uh, Stephen Gerrard mm. always hard to play against. Um, Paul Scholes was probably the best player I've played against. Yeah. Um, and then Gianfranco Zola as well was up there. Yeah, Definitely. great. Great, great names. What if I mean, would Wembley be the highlight, or if there would be another, a couple of highlights you could pick out from from your time at Villa? Um, yeah, I think some of the European games stood out. Um, playing, even though we lost against um, Atletico Madrid, yeah, uh, in I think it was quarterfinals, but um, it was just a, just an amazing atmosphere to play in. The the atmosphere that night at Villa Park was unbelievable, and. Uh, you know, there's other games that stand out like Stade Bucharest where I scored as well and they're just great European nights and uh, you know it was just a great experience to play in those games yeah definitely well I think you're very much remembered well Aston Villa so uh, let's hope things are better next season thank you very much for, for your time Ian it was great looking back at those memories no problem thanks very much thanks a lot bye bye cheers bye bye Ian Taylor there talking to us earlier in the year, going through when Aston Villa were fighting relegation. So uh, a little downbeat from Ian Taylor, but still some good memories from the 90s. I'm sure he's cheered up a little bit now, uh, although Aston Villa haven't made the best start to the new season in the Championship, have they? Unlike uh, Newcastle, but better, less said about their performance at Loftus Road, the better for me. Let's move on and talk more about AK90s though. Alive and kicking, yes, the new season will start. Season 2 
uh, in a couple of weeks. And we've got a few new things lined up for you guys just to keep the show, keep you guys on the toes and keep the show fresh. Um, so look out for those. We'll still be doing this week in the 90s, looking back at everything that happened in the same week. Uh, the football CVs will be sticking around, but will be new questions uh, for our guests. Because a lot of the regulars we've been through have a lot of their CVs already, so we'll ask them some new things. But for anyone new, don't worry, we'll be keeping the original questions about their, their favourite players, both club and overall of the 1990s. So we'll still be heading with that. Um, but one of the new things that I'm going to reveal now, hopefully you'll get in touch with your own ideas on this as well, uh, we're going to Premier League players that time forgot. Um, it's actually an idea um, I almost did a book on actually, but what AK90s eventually turned into. Uh, but it will be asking guests to remember those players that quite quite remembered so fondly as the ones we talk about regularly so get your peter fears your andrew salenzi your dal gordons ready to talk about so anyone who's coming on the podcast get thinking or anyone who follows us on twitter get tweeting about some some forgotten names the forgotten footballers of the 90s as we're going to call it so that is something to look forward to in the near future so please keep in touch on that Something you did keep in touch, which was very nice of you. I sent a tweet out earlier in the week. Uh, said I'll be doing this mini episode and asked you guys if you had any 90s related questions. And a few of you got in touch, so thank you very much for that. It's always great to hear from you and, and get interaction um, from you guys. So I'm going to just go through a, a couple of them now. Um, firstly, uh, a question from Zach Sutton, uh, who asked, uh, sorry if it's a boring question. It's not. I think it's quite a good question, actually, Zach. So thank you for getting in touch. Uh, what was the best season of the 1990s? Um, which is kind of hard to think when now there's nine or ten really if we're going to keep creep into the 2000s to choose from. Um, but when I first read the question from Zach, I think the first season that came into my mind was 1992-93. I think by that point my footballing sort of prowess and, and kind of knowing of what football is about and awareity, oh, it's another new word I've invented there, uh, had come into play. And I was really excited uh, about the the, pre the birth of the Premier League. It came with all the bells and whistles from Sky Sports. It was the, the first time they were showing foot live football on a regular basis. They'd bought into the, the new Premier League. And of course, it came the advert, the Alive and Kicking advert, which is where the book, which you can buy from all good bookstores, hashtag cheap plug, and eventually the podcast name come from and the theme tune to this podcast, Alive and Kicking by Simple Minds. The advert, which was brilliant, which we'll talk about more in a minute, um, that just built up the excitement of this new league, 92-93, um, of, of just new football. It just felt like, as Sky said, a whole new ball game. I mean, from a selfish point of view as well, it was the season that QPR came fifth in the inaugural Premier League, which was top London club above Chelsea, above Arsenal, above Spurs. Uh, so for me personally, um, that was a good season. It was the highest we'd finished since 1976's almost title win. Uh, so to finish top London club, I always had a flag in my room for a long time. It's, it's since seen better days, but I had top London club in uh, 1993. So I think that season really stands out for me firstly, um, just for it being fresh and new. Even the badge, like the, the Premier League badge, the original Lion, not the stupid kind of insurance looking one they've got now, uh, but the original Premier League logo and, and the trophy that Man United got, the, the medal, sorry, that they got at the end of that season. They weren't proper medals. They were actually mini Premier League trophies like the the Sabutio trophies that you used to get of that era so all that kind of rolled into one uh, you know I remember the first Monday Night Football or the first Super Sunday with Teddy Sheringham uh, scoring the, the goal against um, Liverpool and the 1-0 win at the City ground the first Monday Night Football QPR Man City and it just felt so different I was so excited 
to to see the start of the Premier League, and I, I think that why it sticks out as well. It's also the start of the Champions League as well, but domestically. Uh, that season really sticks out for me. And then I would also say 94-95, mainly because of the title race. It was went down to the last day. It was kind of the, the 90s equivalent. What was the best kind of title decider until 2012 um, when Sergio Aguero, Neto, Sergio Aguero sorry, netted uh, for Man City against QPR on that famous day for Man City. But this was kind of the 90s version. Uh, yeah, Blackburn on one side, sort of the, the, the new underdogs against the juggernaut of Man United looked unbeatable at that point in the 90s and he went down to the last day Blackburn were at Anfield playing Liverpool Man United were at West Ham uh, they needed to win uh, to, to make sure of, of winning another league title Blackburn just had to hope Man United didn't win and, and whatever happened at Anfield and, and as it's and I remember listening to the radio and hearing Liverpool fans who were quite caught, sort of torn between wanting their team to beat Blackburn because obviously they're a Liverpool fan but also not wanting rivals Man United to win the league and happy to see ex-idol Kenny Dalglish, who was manager of Blackburn at the time, win the Premier League for them. So it was a really weird sort of contrast juxtaposition for, for Liverpool fans and for neutrals as well. And as, as it turned out, Blackburn lost to Anfield in that kind of Jamie Redknapp's free kick. Uh, but Man United couldn't beat West Ham. Ludic McCloskey had one of those days where he seemed unbeatable. Andy Cole missed a hatful of chances and in the fairy town ending went for Blackburn as they won the league. And there was that moment where I think the Man United game finished just slightly earlier um, than the Blackburn game. And they were kind of all on their radios. No mobile phones, no Twitter, no Sky Sports app. All on their big old radios trying to find out what happened. And then suddenly you see the roar in Kenny Douglas's face that they knew they'd won the league. It didn't matter the result at Upton Park and Blackburn became the team that won the league and it was you know something they never repeated. They didn't actually go on from that, unfortunately, for them, whereas Man United clearly did and went on to win the treble in 99, which is another great season as well, especially for a Man United fan. So I think those two predominantly stand out. I think 92-93, just for the excitement and the change and, and this sort of new, fresh feel. And then 94-95, just because it was a really good season and a really good ending to a, to a, a fantastic title race and seeing Alan Shearer who turned down Manchester United to join Blackburn win the league so I'd say those two Zach uh, we had a question from uh, Joel King as well who said Ash you've never give us your own footballing CV what would be yours and so for anyone who's listening for the first time, we have guests that come on. I ask them their 90s CV, which is usually a couple of questions on their favourite player of the 90s for the club they support and overall as well. Um, and for those who do listen regularly, they know what's coming. Uh, my favourite QPR player of the 1990s was Roy Wegley, uh, someone that I was just... After the 1990 World Cup, which is kind of where my football edu- education began, that's the first real big memory that I have. Um, I was I became a QPR fan because my dad was a QPR fan. Uh, we had a very you know sort of solid team at that point. We were a sort of mid mid table uh, top flight team, first division team at the time under Don Howe. Um, we had stalwarts like Alan McDonald and David Bardsley. Uh, Ray Wilkins had joined the club, but for me, they had this guy up front, flowing black locks, had some brilliant skills. Wore the number ten shirt, was a, played for America, although he was South African. And I've always had this weird fascination with all things American. And I just took to him, you know, Rangers have a sort of tradition of number 10s going back to the 70s with uh, Stan Bowles and before that Rodney Marsh and then in the 80s with Simon Stainrod and Roy Wigley was just another one in a long line of number 10s that, that Rangers had and he, although he wasn't there very long, what he did in that little spell, you know, he was a goal scorer that could score 
great penalty taker for a start, but also scored great goals. And one of them that was very well remembered at Loftus Road, it wasn't at Loftus Road, but remembered as a QPR fan, it won the goal of the season uh, 1990-91 for a goal at Ellen Road where he took the ball on the sort of left-hand side, uh, no, right-hand, sorry, right-hand side of the, of the pitch, and then went round about six or seven players, then slotted the ball calmly under the goalkeeper, I think John Lukic it was, and uh, it's one of those goals that if it was, someone scored it now in the top flight, if a Sergio Aguero scored it now, you'd see it replayed for weeks and weeks on end uh, on Sky Sports News. Obviously, they didn't have that in 1990, um, but it was a goal that, that's been replayed by me, certainly on YouTube and by QPR fans, and Roy was capable of, of those kind of goals, but also the important ones as well. Um, he was a player that I was gutted to see leave. Never quite worked for him under when Jerry Francis came in. He never quite fitted into the, the Francis sort of way of playing. So it was unfortunate. I was gutted to see him leave. He went on to play for Coventry and Blackburn. Um, and he's someone I've been trying to get on the podcast as well. I've tried really, really hard. Um, I've actually spoken to him over email, but um, he just doesn't really have any interest right now um, in speaking on his football career. Not just for me on my podcast. We uh, we try to get him to do something for uh, the QPR magazine and program, but at the moment he he's just not interested. I'm going to keep bugging him to the point he blocks me, to be honest, because uh, it'd be amazing to have him on the podcast, not just from a selfish point of view, but he played for Luton, for Chelsea, as I said, Country Blackburn, but also played in the 1994 World Cup and was kind of, you know, one of those players that were around when the football in the States was just starting to peak again. Um, so it'd be good to talk to Roy. So I will try and get him on the on the podcast once again. He did become try and become a golfer as well after retiring from football. So that'd be quite interesting to talk about. So for me, yeah, Roy Wegley was certainly my favourite QPR player. Outside of Loftus Road, I would, you know, there are some names that have been mentioned many times on this podcast. Paul Gascoigne being a big one, um, even if he didn't get into our team of the, of the decade, which was scandalous. Damn you, Joel Young and Rob Gallagher once again. Um, we have to do. I think we should replay that pod and not invite those two this time, just so we can get Gazza in there. Sorry, lads. Um, but you know, Paul Gascoigne is someone we mentioned. Um, there's some others that we that, that as well. But for me, two names that kind of stick out. Uh, firstly, Davos Suka. I think I've said it on the pod before. Just he was one of those guys that it doesn't happen now that when a tournament comes around, you hadn't really heard of because you don't have the worldwide exposure that you have on, in sort of 2016, what with social media, YouTube, uh, and just the coverage that Sky and everyone else gives you. So you they, you still had these teams that come in and players just come out of nowhere, like a Karol Baborski that again in the in the 1996 European Championships that went on to play for Manchester United. Um, he was someone that came out of nowhere that, that went on to do things. And in that same tournament, Croatia led the line with this guy, Davos Suka. He was a real striker's striker. Um, he was, you know, he was someone who played for Real Madrid, went on to play for Arsenal, um, scorer of all different kind of goals, was good in the air, could hold up the ball, but was also capable of a bit of magic, you know, what's coming, that goal uh, at the Euro 96 Championships uh, against Denmark, where he loved the great Peter Schmeichel, um, even after trying to lob him for even further out earlier in the game. But it was one, he, he came to the forefront of that tournament, uh, was top scorer at the 1998 World Cup as well. So it wasn't someone who kind of was a flash in the pan tournament player like Totoska actually was at, at 1990. He really was consistent from sort of the mid to the late 90s. And he's somewhere. I remember when he signed for Arsenal, I was so excited to see him in the Premier League, to see him week in, week out. And unfortunately, he didn't quite, he didn't have, he wasn't as consistent and prolific uh, in the Premier League as he had been for, for Real Madrid uh, and for Croatia. But he's someone I really enjoyed watching. And the other one would be Michael Owen later in the decade. Um, he was someone that, as a kid, I looked up to. And although I was a terrible footballer and still am, 
uh, the only thing I did have going for me was pace and I used to play up front and, and that was something that I used to look at Michael Owen and try and base my pathetic game around. Uh, he came, you know, came to the forefront when Liverpool, so was it 97, I think, the end of 96, 97, against Wimbledon, we scored on his debut. And then the following season, he got more of a run in the team, made his England debut against Chile. Uh, and then went on, of course, to the 1998 World Cup and, and scored that famous goal against Argentina. And I really, really thought at that point he'd be the one to go on to break uh, Bobby Charlton's uh, goal-scoring record. Unfortunately, the injury at Leeds and the hamstrings, he's it was never the same after that. And that sort of electric pace that he had that used to leave defenders for dead, that kind of one sort of burst that he had, the one you know him on one-on-ones, you knew that he was going to score goals because he was a great, great finisher as well as having pace. Someone who Liverpool fans didn't quite look as fondly on as Robbie Fowler, but he still did some great things for the club, especially the, the 2001, I know we're creeping into the next decade, but the FA Cup final where he scored those two goals against Arsenal. So I really enjoyed watching Michael Owen and such a shame that, that his latter part of his career is remembered for those injuries and you know forget his time at Stoke for Christ's sake and even to a certain extent Man United, even though he scored that famous derby winner and he scored in the cup final, it was, he was never the same player as the one that was at Liverpool, even at Real Madrid and Newcastle, but really enjoyed watching him in the late 90s. Remember that goal celebration he did against Newcastle? I think it was this, there was the season after yeah after he come back from the ninety eight World Cup and you know the pressure was on if he could continue it and he, I think the opening weekend actually he scored a hat trick against Newcastle and rubbed his hands with him and Paul Ince so remember that celebration fondly so those two players for me uh, would be my players of the nineties. Uh, talking goals, I can't, you know, I have to say Trevor Sinclair from QPR point of view, a fantastic goal, goal of the season in '96, uh, beating um, '96 '97, beating David Beckham's lob, um, and then away from that, anything Dennis Bergkamp does, um, in that was brilliant. His goal. Uh, the 1998 World Cup was probably my favourite goal of his and my favourite goal of the 90s um, that ball from De Boer I mean it was such an amazing ball but to kill it dead like Dennis Bergkamp did just right there in the box and then finish it and on the stage of a World Cup quarter final it was absolutely ridiculous um, and a ridiculous player he's another one I, that would be in my sort of 90s players as well the best import for me the Premier League has ever seen and I know his goal against Newcastle as well that's one of my favourites but I think that creeps into the next decade against that, that turn against Nikos Dabizas which for me is one of the best pieces of skill I've ever seen how people say that they, he didn't mean it is ridiculous one person could do that on the planet and that's Dennis Burkamp so for me those goals uh, would be the one for me and then quickly matches um, again there's only one from a QPR point of view and that's 4-1 May United Old Trafford Dennis Bailey hat-trick still one of the greatest games as a as a Hoops fan that I can remember uh, and outside of that I mean it's hard not to pick the obvious ones really isn't it the the famous Liverpool Newcastle games uh, the Liverpool May United 3 all was a fantastic game as well um, but then I think Euro 96 England Holland it's hard not to choose that isn't it, it just what it just came into everything came into together that day we we beat a team who were heavily fancied for that tournament full of world class players and we were brilliant two goals from Shearer and Sheringham it was kind of you know it was that game that team that summer that song we waxed lyrical about year 96 over two pods at uh, the back end of last season go back and listen to them and this game was talked about a lot because it was such a fantastic game, fantastic performance and a, a summer that I will never forget um, my memories from that summer you can listen to on that on that podcast. So yeah, I think all those, um, I don't think we did any more on the CVs. I mean, kits wise, I think I've talked about here on before, you know, the uh, there's lots of favourite kits I had in the 90s, but the, the best kit of all time, whether it's 90s, 80s, 70s or whatever. 
is the USA 94 away kit. It's I can look. I'm looking around it right this second because it's sitting in my office, hanging up. Greatest kit of all time. Denim effect with stars on it and. Ugh. The thickest thing you'd ever feel. I mean, it's ridiculous how they played in heat in it. I'll never know. So we'll do another kit pod um, in the season because I don't think we quite got through everything when we did that at the start of last season. And I mean, so I could talk about that all over again. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Uh, we had another question from Ronnie QPR who, who asked me, I think he challenged me actually, to name all 22 of the original Premier League teams in the first season of the Premier League, as we mentioned. I'm not going to do that, mainly because it's not great audio, um, especially to hear me if I'm struggling to name one or two at the end. I'm sure I could do it. I just don't know how long it's going to take me. And I don't think it's fair for you guys to sit there and listen to me going, um, oh, well, I remember that one. But what I would do instead, uh, for any of you who have seen the banner uh, that's the top of the AK90s Twitter and Facebook page, that does have a picture of all 22 players in the Premier League at the start of uh, the 92-93. Uh, I thought I'd just name them. It's a game that we played, I've played with my friends. There's a couple of them that are really quite difficult to remember. Um, so, I mean, if you want to do it now, get up your phones or your tablets, whatever, have a look at that picture. Um, and you can see those 22 players. So we have David Hirsch, Jeff Wednesday, Lee Sharp, Manchester United, Tony Daly of Villa, who you can listen to in a uh, show we did earlier last season, um, talking about his career. Vidi James of Chelsea, a bit of a strange one for Chelsea because he didn't stay there for that long. Mark Wright of Liverpool, who's hopefully going to come on this podcast this season. John uh, John Walk, Ipswich, Tim Flower, Southampton, Tim Sherwood, Blackburn, Ian Brightwell of Man City, Ian Butterworth of Norwich, uh, Hans Sagers, Wimbledon, Ian Pierce of Coventry, oh, sorry, David Pierce. Ian Pierce played for West Ham later, didn't he? Uh, Carl Bradshaw of Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Gordon Jury, Tottenham, David Hillier, who uh, has been on the podcast of, of Arsenal. Uh, David uh, Peter Beardsley, Everton, Gordon Strachan, Leeds, Grant Kavanagh of Middlesbrough, the great Andy Sinton of QPR, John Salako, Palace, Mr. Oldham, Andy Ritchie, and Gary Childs. Those, so those players are on that. They're from the advert, of course, Alive and Kicking, as I mentioned earlier. A uh, last question has come from Carol472. I don't know what the actual name was. Um, Something's written down, so sorry about that, but that's the Twitter handle. Um, it says, why do you think the 90s were the best decade and overall? It's a hard question to answer because I think anyone who looks back on their kind of the generation they grow up and would say that theirs is the favourite. So anyone who sort of grew up in the 80s and or grew up in the 70s would say, oh, that decade, it was better than that decade. So it, I think it's all kind of substantial to, to what where you were born and how you feel about it. However, for me, I don't think any decade in football... Uh, change the game like it did in the 1990s. I always say if you look at the game in 1990 and look at it in 1999, I think it's the biggest contrast decade on decade that there's ever been. Um, there's so much changed in football in the 1990s. As we already said, the Premier League began, the Champions League began, the Bosman effect, the amount of money that came into the game that, that happened that led to the sort of players we saw in the Premier League, the Burkamps, the Klinsmans, the Cantonards. It completely changed the face of football. So you had that on one hand, but also you had the fact that while that was changing, we still had this kind of fun factor of football. Football seems to be more fun in the 1990s, it's more relatable to the players on the pitch. There was more mavericks, more characters. The kits were ridiculous. You know, the, the nathness was still there. It was it was kind of it was something that we all kind of re-enjoyed re again, I suppose is the word I'm looking for, because the, the 80s although I don't remember that because I was slightly young, it had become such a dark time for football. England's performance in 1990, the way 1996 happened in the European Championships, England's performance and just the feel of the summer that year. 
it changed football. It got everyone back into it. Everyone, it became kind of the game that everyone wanted again. And you know, some might say for the worse in terms of some of the fans, but it made football more accessible. It made football more fun. I think that's the word I always use as well. Football just seemed more fun in the nineties, and everything about it. I think, as much as I love football in two thousand and sixteen, there are times when it, it could it could take a little bit too. There's times where it comes to a bit too serious in terms of things, and I think ninety there was still that kind of fun factor when you go on the day with your, your family and everything in the 90s it's so for me i mean it's it's a nostalgia thing as well like i say it's really much the, the decade i grew up in even everything around it like the stickers the tv programs there's not enough tv programs on football now there's you know the video the first video games came out proper video games in the 90s are sort of the first sort of fifas and the iss's and it just seems a lot of where the football we know now in 2016 everything stemmed back from the, in the 90s it all began in the 1990s i think i've rambled on a little bit more than i wanted to there but it's quite difficult to put into words because it's such a nostalgic feeling uh, about the, the decade i had which is why i wrote the book on on the decade and why we've done this podcast so um hopefully that kind of answers that question and thank you for the to everyone who sort of tweeted in we didn't get to to everyone but i just wanted to pick those few out um, for us and so you don't have to hear me ramble on too much because this is a mini episode after all and we'll get to the real stuff in a couple of weeks uh, keep your eye on the twitter feed for a start date for uh, ak90s because it is something that uh, we will be doing it's just trying to find the right dates and to get as i said at the top of the show to get everyone ready for the new season with the new features and going back again to zach's question as well something we might do during the season we're just trying to work out as well is do a season by season show so we'll go through 1990 and then onwards so let me know if you think that's a good idea and how you'd like us to do that you can follow us on twitter at ak90s and on facebook you can follow myself at ash rose uk and finally again i mentioned it at the top of the show if you would be kind enough to vote for us at the fba awards go on twitter feed it's the pin tweet click on the link any vote would be fantastic for us hopefully we'll get in that short list and it help us do more shows more memories of the 90s and that would be great. And again, iTunes as well. You can subscribe to us. SoundCloud we're on as well. Loads of ways to get in touch. And we just, please do because it's always great to share as many memories of the 90s and 90s as we can. So thank you very much for listening to this mini episode. And thank you to everyone who listened to last season. So hopefully you'll be rejoining the ride for us next season. And anyone new, hello and welcome. Hopefully you enjoyed this first episode. There is lots, lots more to come. More guests, more voices from the 90s to talk to all coming on season two of AK90s and of course the forgotten footballers of the decade as well to talk about so hopefully you enjoy all that I've been Ash Rose this has been AK90s until we start season two you know what I'm gonna say keep it 90s